Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Seven words that'll scare any politician. Roy Green is holding on line one. The Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network continues. But I'm seeing colleagues right now with this business, with our college here, there are colleagues who are being forced to stop practice or who are forcing, choosing to stop practicing pain medication management because of the, the, the drawn-out battle with the college. And these patients are going to be left high and dry. There will be nobody to look after them. It's, it's, it's just it's very, very sad mess. It's Dr. Mary Redmond from Ottawa. She's a pain management specialist and has about 1,200 patients, she told us. Many of whom ask her, well, Dr. Redmond, what are we going to do if you die? Who's going to look after us? Who's going to provide us with the opioid medications that we require in order to get through our lives with this tremendously difficult and, uh, and agony uh, pain level that we have to live with on a daily basis? And she just said, I don't know. It is a, an awful situation. An awful situation that people in the United States, in Canada, and around the world find themselves in. Some of the statistics as far as the numbers of chronic pain patients are concerned, and it probably is better defined as agony, and I've mentioned this on a number of occasions, should be chronic agony patients. The numbers are very high, 20%, maybe higher in this country. In the United States, I've seen numbers projected at over 100 million, over 111 million Americans living with chronic pain. And now the authorities, governmental and medical, as in colleges of physicians and surgeons, have issued guidelines to doctors and telling them that you have to wean your patients off the opioids The preferred number, high number, is 90 milligrams. In British Columbia, it's 50 milligrams. For chronic pain patients who live with massive, massive pain, that's not nearly enough. And there are different body sizes. You can't give the same milligram number to somebody who is 5 feet tall and weighs 100 pounds as you give to someone who's 6 foot 4 and weighs 275 pounds. But the answers are not there. They don't provide answers. The colleges don't provide answers even when the doctors ask. We heard that from Dr. Owen Williamson from British Columbia, from the Pain Physicians Society in in B.C. yesterday. Very unhappy with the fact that their college hasn't provided answers to the questions that they asked. The doctors want to know. Doctors feel threatened. I've had doctors say to me, I have to stop providing opioids to my patients because I could lose my license. Because I call people and I call doctors and I ask questions before we do these shows. And you know, we've spoken to patients on this program who've told us that they have suicide plans in place. If their opioid medications are withheld, they have suicide plans in place. Don Ray Downton, who's a national journalist, on this program several times, including with her husband just a few weeks ago. She has a suicide plan in place. If her fentanyl that she's been prescribed for 12 years is taken away or significantly reduced, 
I also spoke to the Federal Minister of Health, Dr. Philpott, who, as I mentioned to her during the interview, provided me with no answers to the questions I was asking. All I got was a lot of gobbledygook, doublespeak, meaningless, pointless stuff. But the minister kept insisting that I was asking fabulous questions. Well, how about an average answer? The answers were not forthcoming. When opioid medications are without any valid reason withheld from a chronic pain patient living in daily agony, it is feared the result increasingly will be suicide. Tammy and Nikki Hale, Haley joined me, or Hale joined me on the uh, Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Their 53-year-old husband and father, Doug, committed suicide after a horrific experience with the healthcare system in the United States, cutting him off previously prescribed opioid medication and the family doctor openly saying to the family he wasn't going to risk his medical license in order to continue to prescribe opioid meds for Doug, who last October took his own life. Tammy, my condolences. Nikki, my condolences. You're both extremely brave for doing what you're doing, for sharing your story and for getting the message out that people are struggling and suffering and taking their lives, and this has to stop. Mike, our condolences collectively, all of us, to you. Thank you. Thank you. Tammy, the pain issue began with Doug, and I, I read very carefully what you sent me. It began when he was your husband when he was 35 with yeah. a terribly painful bladder condition. Can you tell us how, in, in your words, how this all began, what took place initially, what was done for Doug initially, and then how, when, when did it start to break down? Doug was very healthy before he was 35. He was athletic. He had a good job. He um, had a pretty happy life. He apparently had two congenital birth defects. One was urological in nature, and it blew up, that's what he liked to say, and he had to have surgery. And that set the stage for the interstitial cystitis, which is a very, very painful bladder inflammation. He also had a brain bleed in 2006, which resulted in heavy migraines and seizures. His care was great from the time he first had the first um, urological issue in 1998 until 2014. He was he went through all the regime of regular therapies, which failed. Went to a pain clinic. They put him on opioids, which high doses, 250 milligrams of opioids average a day which brought his pain to a reasonable level of four. Um, in 2008, the pain clinic backed out. A lot of them did, said, we're not going to prescribe, we're going to leave it to the primary, dumped it in the primary's lap, fine. Primary was fine until 2016, um, or 2014, and then he started pressuring Doug to go down to 90 milligrams a day from 250. Had a hard time with that for the next two years. In 2016, in May is when he told Doug, I will not risk my license for you anymore. I'm not going to prescribe you any more opioids beyond this 30-day period. And that blunt. He said, you can go, yes. He said, you can go to the methadone clinic for daily dosing. So we spent the summer trying to go to the methadone clinic, who rejected him three times because he was a chronic pain patient. Um, he had to put himself through detox for a month and get down to zero, which was really, really difficult. Um, the, the primary finally saw the excruciating pain in late July and put him on another dose 
for a month. But then in August, on August 24th, the primary said, I'm not going to risk my license. I'm not going to write any more opioids for you. I'm all done. The methadone clinic can deal with you. So we went again. Um, they did an evaluation. It took five weeks. And they again said to me, and this is the part that was really difficult, they said, you're a chronic pain patient. You cannot be treated here. We're federally mandated to only treat addicts. And I looked at the nurse and I said, what are chronic pain patients supposed to do? They cannot live in this pain and no one will prescribe. I said, you're going to have a rash of suicides. And her response was, we already have. We've lost thousands. We've lost, we've lost thousands. That's what she said to me. We've lost thousands. They see this a lot. They and also told me a lot of the addicts are former chronic pain patients that turn to street drugs. Doug wouldn't do that, you know. I mean, it, you know, it, yeah. What people have three choices: they have suicide, they have street drugs, or they have excruciating pain. This is not like regular pain. This is like level ten thrashing in the bed, agony pain. It is really hard to watch a loved one go through it, and we watched him go through it for two and a half years. Um, The last appointment was the day before he died, October 11th, with the primary. We begged him. Doug was so weak he couldn't stand up. He was in a wheelchair. He was shaking. He was vomiting. He was having seizures and chest pain. We begged the doctor to either prescribe opioids or admit him to the hospital, put him in assisted living, do the daily dosing in his office, something. He refused to help. All they'd give us was a referral to a pain clinic, and they had flatly refused to prescribe opiates. He basically sent Doug home to die. He might as well put the gun in his hand. I'm sorry, that's a strong statement. That's how I feel. The next day when I left the house, Doug dragged himself out to a remote spot in the backyard and he shot himself in the head. Oh, and I found him. I found him a couple hours later and um, he left a note. Is it okay if I read an excerpt of his suicide note? These are his words. Um, it says, I, Douglas Hale, cannot take the chronic pain anymore. No one except my family has helped me. The doctors are mostly puppets trying to lower expenses and not accept any responsibility. Besides, people will die and doctors have seen it all. So why help me? I'm expendable and no threat. They abandoned him and he knew it. And that's just so wrong. And that's why we're speaking out because people don't deserve to be left in agony to have those choices. They deserve to be treated with dignity and humanity, and they're not, and it's happening everywhere. It is. And what we hear from the government representatives and what we hear from the colleges of physicians and surgeons when they're willing to speak is a lot of double talk, and we hear about statistics of of opioid-related deaths and the opioid crisis. A lot of the statistics that they trot out are statistics that are applied to generic drug users who who routinely buy their drugs on street corners who do not suffer from chronic pain and who overdose and die. These statistics have nothing to do with chronic pain patients unless the chronic pain patients have had their meds withdrawn, their opioid medications withdrawn completely, and they're living in a desperate, agony-filled reality, and they go to the street corner to buy some drugs because it's the only place they can find anything that provides even marginal relief. Yes. Absolutely. Exactly the choices people are left with. Let me take a quick break. Beyond cruel. Okay. I'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll also talk to to Nikki Doug-Hills, 
daughter, and I want to play just a little bit of my interview with the Federal Minister of Health, uh, Jane Philpott, which aired on the 3rd of June, it was. Yeah, that's when it aired first. We'll come back. Stay with us. Don't let his bark fool you. Roy has a softer side, too. This is the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. I'm talking with uh, Tammy and Nikki Hale from the United States. Their husband and father, respectively, committed suicide last October, 53 years of age. Doug Hale, after his opioids were, and that's what kept him, kept life livable, because Doug had such incredible pain that he was living with. It started with a terrible bladder condition when he was 35, and um, and then there was the cerebral hemorrhage that he had and uh, affected his overall health. He had daily seizures. He was in his 40s, got sedentary, gained 100 pounds, and had bariatric surgery twice, which left uh, additional problems, and the opioids were uh, withdrawn by clinics, withdrawn by the principal uh, physician, and then very reluctantly somewhat returned, and then withdrawn again. They put him through hell. So um, on the 3rd of June, I had the opportunity to speak with the Federal Minister of Health, Dr. Jane Philpott. They'd gotten in touch with me because I was challenging the government on this whole issue of opioids, and they were going to set me straight on on what the situation was. Didn't quite turn out that way for the minister. Here's just a little bit of that interview. What are pain patients addicted to? Uh, can, you want to know what particular... Yeah, I'd like to... You tell, you tell me, please, and tell my listeners, and which includes chronic pain patients, one of whom will be joining me shortly. What are pain patients addicted to? Well, I think you are asking a question that is trying to uh, to describe the fact that there's a, a single or simple story, and I think that there, uh, I, I don't want to oversimplify. Uh, well, Minister, with, with, with due respect, I don't think you've answered any of my questions yet. Well, feel free to ask me another question then, and I'll see if I can satisfy you. I'll tell you what pain patients are addicted to. They're addicted to getting rid of their pain. And if they take opioids and it works for them, What's the problem? And if they take the opioids for the rest of their lives, what's the problem? Well, I absolutely agree with you that every person who has a health condition deserves to get access to appropriate care for that condition. And so when people do have chronic pain, they absolutely deserve care. They deserve uh, a, a proper assessment and an awareness of the whole range of treatments that should be available to people with chronic pain and in appropriate circumstances that may include opioids, but it has to be done uh, with a recognition of the fact that there are potential harms and one cannot deny the fact that uh, we are dealing with circumstances where people do die and they do also have other harms associated with uh, the use of opioids, which can sometimes cause uh, delirium and confusion if used inappropriately. So, um, you know, people uh, need to be treated on a thing, on a case-by-case basis by uh, a well-informed uh, care provider who will make sure that they, they get benefit of the treatments that they're receiving and that we avoid any unnecessary harms. So there's no answer there. None. Nothing. Zero. With all due respect, Minister, you didn't answer a single thing. 
people who have uh, chronic pain issues and 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 really serious concerns, now they may get access to opioids. Nikki Hale, Nikki, when uh, when were you first aware that your dad was living with tremendous pain? How old were you? I I think I was about the age of ten. I remember my dad had had a couple of kidney stones. But then when I was 13, I was in middle school, I remember my dad ended up having to go on disability because his urogenital malfunctions were so bad that he couldn't work anymore. And I think it was then that I really realized how much pain he was in. And it just got worse from there. It just never got better. It just only got worse. You got the feeling, did you, that nobody really cared about them? The health system didn't care about, about your dad at all, did it? Especially in the last few years, I think what my mom said was very accurate in that from about 2004 to 2014, the medical community at least wanted to make him comfortable. There was no cure for what he had. There was nothing that could put him back together and make him whole, but at least it could keep him comfortable and he could be my dad. And then in about 2014, things started to just fall between the cracks and nobody wanted to take responsibility for making him human again. And that's when I really lost my dad was about two years ago. Not, and of course, in last year as well, but about two years ago, nobody wanted to take responsibility for him. And I mean, medical community, no doctor wanted to take responsibility for helping him to be comfortable. It's so terrible to listen to this. And Tammy, the only thing that really, that, that your husband needed because he had the conditions he was living with, the chronic pain was going to be with him for the rest of his life. All they needed to do was provide him with the pain relief that we already know that you knew and, uh, and had evidence of that the opioids provided. We did. We did. He was successfully treated for 10 years on 250 milligrams, and they adamantly refused to give him even 90 milligrams in the end. It was the only thing they tried. Everything else, so many patients I talked to, they try everything and nothing works. It's the only the opioids that work. And um, would they take the insulin from the diabetics? I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, going to, I'm going to ask you both to come back on the program. We're going to put together a show with a program with, with patients um, and with, with family members and only patients and family members. And I'll ask you both to be part of the pro- that program. Thank you so much for joining us today. Would be happy Thank to. you. Thank you, Roy. And on my blog, by the way, I wrote about about your dad and your husband, about Doug today. So if you go to my show page, Roy Green Show, on any of the radio okay. stations uh, that carry this program, um, you can uh, you, you'll see the uh, my blog about about your about your husband and your dad. Okay. Thank you very Take much. Care. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Take Bye. care, Nikki and Tammy. We'll come back. <laughs> 